When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. I am your host, Scott Connor. You can find me on X at Charles Chill FFB. And recording this in the midst of week six, bringing another episode of Destination Dynasty. And this one is going to be specifically for the teams that have decided that after this week, it is time to pack it in. It is time to start playing for the future, time to start focusing on optimizing rosters heading into the offseason. And today we're going to talk about five things that you need to be doing on your Dynasty roster that you don't want to skimp on, things that you need to do before the end of the season. There's going to be some actionable takeaways if you have decided that this is it, you're ready to move to the future, and you want to know what that process looks like. It's very easy to say, well, I don't care about this year. But what I see a lot, and I'll give a shout out to my co-host on Trades in 5, Shane Manila, we see this a lot on our roster reviews where we review people's teams and they ask, what should I do with this roster? And if you're interested in that, you can send an email to rosterreview at dynastytradesin5.com. But a lot of times what is missing isn't I'm playing for the future. It isn't that I am collecting picks. It isn't that I am collecting injured players or willing to make trades that don't matter as to what happens next week or the rest of the season. But there's a lot of little things that people ignore. They think they're not a big deal. They think they don't need to pay attention anymore. They don't need to grind. And I will argue that on my teams where I am out of it, I'm actually trying to grind even harder. Because I think there's a lot of meat on the bone and there are a lot of things that teams miss if they decide to break down their roster. So today is going to be an episode for you If you have decided to pack it in for this year, play for 2024 and beyond, some steps you want to go through to make sure that you're optimizing where you end up being next spring. Because next spring, you're going to look up and go, you know what, the season is over. Let's just fast forward to Super Bowl weekend. You're focusing on, all right, rookie draft time. NFL free agency is coming up here in a month. Where do I want my team to be? What do I want to have already accomplished during those eight, 10 weeks last year when I didn't care what happened week to week. And that's what this show is going to be about. If you're interested in more 
Check out DestinationDevi.com, Patreon.com slash AllGas, DestinationDevi.com. Bunch of tools, a bunch of resources, articles every day, content posted every single day. Uh, and look out for some new tools that are going to absolutely change the game uh, coming to Destination Devi very, very soon. So check that out. If you haven't already signed up, you also get access to the Discord in our Heisman voice chat, in our Trades in 5 stages, which if you want personal interaction, if you want individual responses on your trades, and just a lot of extra content and a lot of extra interaction in there. I love jumping in there and just doing voice messages or jumping into the voice chat and just chopping it up. Like that is where I spend the majority of my time when I'm not making content and I'm doing other real life things. So check that out if you're interested. And then finally, I'll say war games that we have advertised, Ray and I, war games, more to come on war games very, very soon. Uh, That will be breaking down kind of the first third slash first half of the season talking about war. Uh, So stay tuned for that. Very, very shortly, there'll be an announcement on where you will be able to get the first episode of war games uh, from Ray and I. So as we get into this episode, uh, we're going to start by... How do I make that decision? You might be on the fence if you're listening to this. You may be on the fence. You're two and four, or you're going to be two and four. Maybe you're one and five, but you're up there in terms of potential points or all play record, or at least you're 500. And you're just wondering, man, I'm just not ready to pack this in. And then you may be in a situation where your league rewards the top point score. That's not in the top five or whatever it is. If it's a 12 team league, maybe six make the playoffs and somebody gets in based on points. So even though you're one in five, there's still a spot available that could be there for points. Uh, There's other leagues where 10 team leagues where six teams make the playoffs. So do that analysis. May truly look at what you think your odds are to make the playoffs. Um, I'll give a shout out. Dynasty Daddy has a pretty good uh, simulator. Um, as does Destination Devi. Like you can go through and use some of these tools to say, what is the likelihood that I truly am going to make the playoffs? And then obviously your league market, how hard it's going to be to get some deals done, the economy of, is it going to be feasible to even move to the bottom? We'll talk about that here in just a second, but you have to do that analysis. I can't do it for you. I can walk through what I do. I usually look at how many teams make the playoffs, Is it record? Is it points? Is there another path besides just head-to-head record? Is it double headers to where I might be able to squeak in? Is it victory points? Then I'm looking at some of the other peripherals. If I'm like, man, it's 50-50 whether I can get in on head-to-head. Then I'm looking at the potential points. I'm looking at the all-play record. And I'm also looking at the trajectory of my team. If you're 2-4, and but you've dropped four in a row and you've dealt with three or four big injuries the trajectory is probably not going to bounce back and go upwards. On the contrary, you may be a team that has been without Cooper Cup. You may have been without a couple players. And now you're going, all right, I'm getting back in it. I've won two in a row, even though I started one and three, or I started 0 and four. So it works both ways. You got to be honest. You got to do an honest assessment as to what are the odds you can make the playoffs. And that's the first thing we're going to talk about. It's going to be more of... Not necessarily making the decision, but going through that analysis of understanding what are the odds. And I think that's the first thing you really do have to make sure. And I'm actually going to make that uh, tip number one. So tip number one is going to be doing that analysis. And the reason I make this tip number one is it's not about making the decision. There are teams I see where I go, you know what, I wouldn't blow that team up. 
but a team decides they want to blow the team up anyway, just because they like to do it that way. If they're going to be the sixth seed or whatever, they, they just want to blow it up, and that's fine. What I would say, though, is you have to include in your analysis a couple factors. So this is number one, things you need to be doing if you're deciding to punt. First thing, you need to decide how low can you go. And an example of this is once you kind of understand how your league determines draft picks and where your odds are of making the playoffs and you've done that analysis and you say, you know what, it's probably not a great bet that I'm going to make the playoffs because of X, Y, Z, whatever that is. You also have to do a little bit of an analysis on how aggressively do I want to try to get to the bottom. I wrote about this in an article a couple weeks ago on Destination Devi talking about when you've identified you have one of these middle-of-the-pack teams, how do you make the decision? What is the tiebreaker as to go up or to go down? And obviously, if you own your own first-round pick, that's trigger number one. If you have your own first-round pick, you have incentive for your team to go more extreme to the bottom if that's your choice and that's your direction that you want to go. So first, you have to do the analysis of that. The second thing is you have to do your analysis, and this is all part of tip number one. You have to do the analysis of really how far down to the bottom can I get? And does that affect my strategy when it comes to trading certain players? Or does that affect my strategy in terms of how cheaply I might sell players? And that's the thing. That's going to be really the major driver here. And it's going to be speaking to the people that are in two scenarios. The first scenario is one where you are required to set a certain type of lineup. And I don't know how that is. I've seen it multitudes of different ways to where you have to set a lineup that's just active players. Okay, just active players. That's not that hard to accomplish. You can start fullbacks. You can start blocking tight ends. There's a lot of different ways you can kind of skate that rule as long as it's you only have to start active players. Now, other leagues, you have to start players based on best possible lineup or based on certain projections. And I don't love that. I don't love any rules that are very subjective. Uh, But there's some leagues where you kind of have to just start your best lineup. That's the way that it's written in the bylaws. Now, my problem with that as a bylaw is if I'm the commissioner, how do I enforce that? How do I actually say that was your best lineup? Is it based on projections? Is it based on somebody's rankings? Like what is determined to be the best lineup? And so that's a little bit of a gray area. But if you're in one of those scenarios where you have to start a quality lineup, then one of the ways to alleviate that is to remove some of the quality players from your lineup. Trade healthy players for injured players. And it's the same thing that you're doing if it's potential points or max points for. You see that as a very popular tool for people to determine their draft order. And if that's your league, max points for, or I have to start a really competitive lineup, you are actually incentivized to move players at a little bit less than market. And you don't want to wait. I see this all too often where somebody will have, say, a Mike Evans type on their bench. And they're trying to bench them, but it's a league where it's max points for, so it doesn't matter if they're on their bench. And they go, you know what? I'm tanking. I'm done. I'm moving Mike Evans. We're trading him. You know, I just don't think I have it this year. I'm trading him away. 
So maybe the right decision to trade him away in this situation because he's a 30-year-old wide receiver, right? But what people don't realize is the difference between max points for or potential points at the end of the year could be 8 points, 10 points. Like once you've looked at those numbers and you go, man, I'm pretty close. I'm neck and neck with three other teams and we're all vying for the 102, 103, and 104. Like what you want to do is think about, okay, what if I hold Mike Evans for two more weeks and he scores 26 points in those two weeks? Nothing major, but most likely those are going to contribute to my max points for because they're going to essentially hit my lineup from a best ball perspective, which is what max points is. And boom. You've now cost yourself a draft slot. You've cost yourself the 102, and you end up with the 104. Think about that. Think about when you make some of these deals where the goal is to skate the rules on starting the most quote-unquote competitive lineup or easier max points for or potential points off your roster. Think about the gap in what you're getting offered for Mike Evans. Someone says, I will only give you a mid to late second. That's it. And you're sitting here going, man, he's probably worth a second and a third. Really, I'd like to get two seconds. Nobody's offering it. So you know what? I'm going to hold for another week. I'm going to hold. I'm not going to trade him to that guy that offered me the second. I'm going to hold for one more week. You hold. He puts up 19 points. That increases your potential points by whatever the difference is from that player over whoever would have filled in instead. So let's call it 10 extra points. And boom, you lost a draft slot. And I'm not saying that's exactly going to happen, but just think about that. Now think about the trade next year. You're trying to move up from the 104 to the 102. Does Mike Evans get it done? Mike Evans alone doesn't get the deal done. Mike Evans alone probably doesn't get one slot up, 104 to 103. It 100% doesn't get a slot if it's a tier break. If it's a tier break, then there's no chance. Mike Evans adds nothing to the deal. If it's within the same tier, someone may accept Mike Evans in a third or whatever. But you get the point. A lot of times, the gap in what you're trying to get for the player versus what you can actually get for the player isn't that much. It's a difference of a late second, a third. You know, you don't want to accept it. You don't want to take 82 cents on the dollar or 78 cents on the dollar, whatever the trade calculators you're using says, And you go, man, I need two seconds. I need a second and a third. No one will give it to you, so you hold him for another week. He increases your potential points. You lose a draft slot or two. And then you sit there and go, why did I do that? And then worst case scenario is you hold for another week, and then maybe he gets injured and the market is gone. So the message, tip number one, when you're in these scenarios, either potential points or you're forced to start your best projected lineup, whatever it might be, just dump the player for 70% of the market. 80% of the market, make it clear in your chat or on your trade bait that you are motivated to get rid of the points now. Now. And I'm guilty of this. I have a couple leagues that I can think of right now where what's the point of having some of these players on my roster? I've already kind of decided that I want to move on from many of these guys, and I've just been stubborn enough to not take a couple of the deals that I maybe could have gotten. But more importantly, it's not even that. It's I don't let the league know that I am a motivated seller. Like motivated meaning get these guys off my roster. Mike Evans, get him off my team. DeAndre Hopkins, get him off my team. And make it clear that they're going to go in the next 48 hours. 
If it's Friday night, you're saying, I want these guys traded by game time. Like, put people's feet to the fire. Tell them that, like, you're not going to just sit another week on a team where you don't want these points and not take 70 cents on the dollar. You know, advertise that you are very motivated and that you want to move. And sometimes when people see that, they see that, hey, there's a deal available. This is on sale for the next three hours. People are actually more motivated to send that offer than they might have been if you just put it on trade bait or you didn't say anything. So that's the first tip is give off the message that, hey, I want to move on from these points. I want to. I'm not willing just to sit back and wait a week and wait a week and wait a week. And then it's week 11 and I still have three or four veterans to trade. At that point, the market might be gone. There might not be a buyer for all four of those guys that you wanted to move, but you just couldn't take a single second. So understand that. And Ray and I talked about that on Destination Chill the other night was when you pick a direction, lean into the direction. You're getting extra value back by getting the deal done. When you sell DeAndre Hopkins for 70 cents of what his market value is, or 70 cents on the dollar, you're getting some of that 30 cents gap that you're selling short on back in the form of losing those potential points, back in the form of maybe gaining a draft spot, back in the form of maybe showing other people that, hey, I have four players to deal. I'm not joking around about moving them. So take advantage of that, but look at that and be aggressive. I find a lot of people just sit and they go, ah, man, I can't accept that trade for Mike Evans or New Hopkins or Keenan Allen. I need this price. And then what? What if you don't get that price? And then you wait a week, then you wait two weeks, then you wait three weeks, and you realize, man, you're actually losing value by not taking what you were offered. You know, as long as it's within a range of you go, okay, what's too low? You'll know when it's too low. But you'll also know when you go, man, someone offered me a second for Keenan Allen. Man, I really want two seconds. Can't move them. Got a second for Mike Evans or Nuke Hopkins. I, I can't I need a third. And then you don't pull the trigger. And you probably should have. And you look back and you go, man, I wish I wouldn't have had that 22 potential points on my bench uh, that he scored me. So that's tip number one. Uh, tip number two is really, really look at your roster construction. And I'm going to revamp the roster construction series. But so there's a beautiful thing about roster construction when you decide to enter into this quote unquote tank mode, right? And the beauty of it is you can kind of suspend your conviction on the roster construction for the short term. Because a lot of the benefits of roster construction come in the form of I'm winning with the overarching construction strategy but I want it to stay as tight as possible when I'm trying to win. And there's times where you abandon that a little bit, or there's times where you maybe stray away from your optimal roster construction 10, 15% or so during the season. In fact, I've been doing it a lot, and that's going to be very interesting when I revamp the roster construction series is during the season. What is the kind of elasticity of the strategy, right? Like I don't necessarily need to be right on point all the time with my construction, especially with the day-to-day dynasty game, things change during the season. And if I see a trend happening, for instance, like quarterbacks getting injured and I can turn in backup quarterbacks for third round picks, which I've been able to do quite a bit this week. I sold a PJ Walker for a third. I sold three Tyrod Taylor shares for thirds. And those are literally just guys I picked up off waivers. And a lot of times they are substitutes for some of the real low end any running back on a 53 because I'm figuring, all right, I'm using these really low end roster spots for potential value mechanisms. 
And so I've strayed away from my optimal roster construction. There's some leagues where I'm rostering nine or 10 quarterbacks. And it's just simply, hey, it's deeper rosters. And I'm looking at the backup quarterbacks like they are one path where things change down that road for a week and I can sell a backup QB, even if that's a fourth, even if that's a third. Uh, So roster construction does stray a little bit during the season. But when you say I'm packing it in for this year, I'm tanking for next year, roster construction's out the window. And that's tip number two, is you need to immediately flip into the mindset of maximizing my future assets. And to the first point, you maximize your future assets by making sure that your future picks that you are quote-unquote tanking with are maximized. That is priority number one. That is where you are going to create the most value On your team is if you have your first round pick and you can tank it to the very top of a rookie draft. Same with your second round pick. Like those two are very important for you to control the value and be able to move it towards the top. But aside from that, it's really just accruing assets. And when I say assets, I don't mean the most value where you only can trade for a ton of value. Because I just came off of tip number one saying it's okay to take 70, 80% on a player. What I mean by accruing assets and gaining value is the most valuable teams in the offseason, as soon as week 17 ends, not even Super Bowl week, as soon as week 17 ends, everyone crowns their champions, the payouts get sent out the next day, you know, great time. But as soon as that ends, you want to have a roster where it's like, damn, that roster went up in value 15%. And you may not see it right away, but you'll feel it when you get into the offseason. Do I have a roster that is liquid, that is flexible, that has roster spots that I probably can just wait for things to happen with players over the next couple months and then decide if I either want to free up a roster spot or there's somebody that's worth keeping? And those three things are huge. It's not just how many picks I have or how many good players I have. It's how much liquidity do I have in general? That's in the form of picks and in the form of players. It's not just players. It's great to say I have all the draft picks. You also want to have players that other people are willing to make deals with. When it comes March, I want to have a couple players on my roster that I can go to the market and go, hey, you know what? I kind of want to revamp things or I want to make a bigger deal. I need to have some players where the community says, yeah, I like that guy. Guy had a good rookie year. I like him. I like that type of player. You can throw that player in a deal, and it's not even about what they're worth. It's that they will get people to pay attention. So you want to have the value in terms of being able to move around the market. And that's what I mean by the flexibility or the liquidity. Like, you want to have that. You know, and then on top of that, you also want to have a roster construction that can easily get to what you want it to get to in the offseason. You don't want to be fighting constantly to get back into the right roster construction once you get to March or April, which means you want to have the ability to say, hey, I'm going to either know what I want out of this player that I'm holding, or I can free up a roster spot, or I can liquidate. So you want to go into the offseason going, okay, what is the most liquid potential assets besides picks? It's going to be players where situations could grow or situations could change or the market could get excited on. So that's one thing that I'll talk about as we get closer to the end of the year is just prepping for that. 
And a lot of times you have to prep in congruence with contending. I mean, not in this situation because we're just focusing on rebuilding, but you have to prep in congruence with, you know, trying to navigate the playoffs. And maybe there's a trade deadline and you're trying to navigate, all right, I need enough for the playoffs, but I also want to give myself the best chance to go into the offseason with some upper momentum from a value perspective. So in this case, we're tanking, though. It doesn't matter. And what that means is really you have to do a really hard look at your roster. Really hard look. Not just at your roster construction, but at your roster. And give yourself some credit on your gut feeling on players. And it means going into the offseason in three months, how is the community, or more importantly, my league, which is going to be influenced by the community at large, how are they going to feel about my roster? Is it going to be a roster where I'm going to have the ability to move and shake and to shake things up, to make some moves, to make some trades? How do I get to a flexible point? So sometimes when you're in trade negotiations to trade away players, you're going, okay, this team doesn't really have the picks that I might want, but maybe they have a player that I know, hey, there's going to be a market as soon as that player comes back and they're not injured anymore. So really think about it from that view. It is about flexibility. It is about liquidity. Is it about the freedom to move around the chessboard when the offseason hits? Because that's one thing we do not appreciate enough is just how much changes from January to today. Like right now we're in October. Think about how much has happened from January to October. The players that are trending up, the players that are trending down, the players that are good, the players that are not good, the players that are tradable, the players that are not tradable. Think about how variant that is. So I want to get a step ahead of everybody and go, you know what, part of what I'm giving up is a chance to not win this year. But what I should be able to gain is not just future value in the form of picks and young players, but flexibility. I should have the roster where people go, damn, that roster has some potential if you're active enough. And I know everybody that's probably listening to this is pretty active. Like they're going to be able to cultivate a team that once we get to the offseason, now they're going to be able to kind of take advantage of some teams that don't optimize. I mean, I see a lot of teams go into the offseason. I go, why do you have 10 backup quarterbacks? Why are you holding players that retired? Why are you holding players that got cut? You know, there's just a lot of inefficiency and it, it goes through cycles, but there's a lot of times it's inefficiency during the season and it just continues into the off season. So that's tip number two is maximizing the liquidity, the flexibility, and the ability to shift your roster and have the ability to go to the market with a viable player uh, once you get to the off season. So tip number three, and this one's going to be very, very basic. Uh, but it's going to be use some sort of tool. It can be the war tool. It can be really anything that you look at to kind of understand positional value or replacement value. So obviously I'd start with the war tool, but the idea is try to find spots where you can do what I would want to call the, the neutral pivot. And I'll step back a little bit. I'll give an example from last week, the wide receiver pivoting trades. Go back and listen to that where essentially you're finding the flat zones at wide receiver and you're pivoting and you're trying to pick up extra value that you can use later. You're, you're doing the same thing here, but you're doing it as a rebuilding team and you're looking and, and this is one of those where people sometimes get a little too aggressive. They will look at their roster construction and they will see, man, this is a tank team, but the tank team has guys like Brandon Ayuk or DJ Moore. Those two names come to mind as they are 26 years old. They're in their prime. 
and they're probably not going to have a change of situation next year. So it's fair to say they kind of are what they are, but they could fit teams that need production for the rest of the year. But if either one of those guys were to go and get injured and maybe they're out for the rest of the year, it's an injury where it's going to really hamper their performance, they actually could be sneaky buys for next year. And you may go, well, I don't really want to add a 26 slash 27 year old wide receiver. In fact, what a lot of people do is if they have players like that, instead of looking to trade for them on teams where they're not winning, they will actually look to trade those types of players away and they'll be willing to re-roll and just take, you know, the liquidity for them. I'll take a random 25 first for DJ Moore, you know, whatever it might be. And going from tip number one, where I'm like, you know what, liquidate for a little bit less than market value, that's usually on players where you go, I don't necessarily feel confident in their viability or their flexibility next year. So of course, the new Hopkins or the Keenan Allens or the Mike Evans, like sure, you can take 70 cents on the dollar for those guys, knowing that they're going to kind of help you get a little bit of a better draft pick or lower your potential points. But I think sometimes people are scared to hold players that are a couple years younger, that are still in their prime. And really what you want to target is you want to target the guys that are injured, that are in those tiers, and you want to target the guys that are underperforming in those tiers. And a lot of times people don't think about that. They go, I'm going to try to trade this player, and all I want is a first. I only want a first round pick. And sometimes where you want to be looking is, can I trade this receiver away for another receiver that I think is in the same tier, but one might not be performing and one is. So clearly the one that's performing probably is the one that's preferred. And I don't even have to get leverage on top of it. But essentially what I'm doing here is I'm just putting in a placeholder. It's an alternative option to trading a player for a draft pick because there's obviously risk with the draft pick, right? You trade DJ Moore for a 24 first. Sure. Can you replace the profile DJ Moore with a 24 first? You know, if I get Malik Neighbors, is that replacing DJ Moore the profile? Probably. Sure, I get Malik Neighbors at the 110. Great, I just replaced DJ Moore. But did I really? You can argue if he's good, you did. You can argue if he's really good, then you won the deal because you have an upward asset that people will really prefer over somebody like DJ Moore middle of next year. But sometimes you don't. Sometimes you're taking all the risk and it's really just a neutral pivot. And really where you should be looking, especially at wide receiver, I think wide receiver and tight end and even quarterback to an extent. But wide receiver and tight end are positions where I go, you know what, I feel pretty good about the future trajectory of that asset, meaning it's a wide receiver two, and I can project them to be around a wide receiver two next year, but maybe I can go and pivot from the one that's producing that I might have to the one that's not producing. Sure, I get a third on top. You know, sure, I get something else that makes me feel good, but the reality is what I did is I basically just a less productive player and maybe a more volatile player for one that someone else prefers and they want the production. And a lot of times you can charge people a tax. A lot of times they will give you an extra second. They will give you a third. So instead of just looking, hey, I can't trade with you because, you know, I'm giving you this guy. I'm giving you Jordan Addison and you're giving me Jackson Smith and Jigba and two thirds. But I can't trade with you because I really don't want Jackson Smith and Jigba and two thirds. Like I'd prefer draft picks. Maybe you're saying I only want picks. You know, I'm trying to trade this guy for picks, and maybe that's a bad example because it's two rookie receivers, but you get the point. 
don't be so rigid that you have to have picks. Look at your roster construction and go, you know what, I'm going to need some receivers next year. I'm probably going to need a stable of receivers. Can I take a couple of the productive ones that I have? Um, I just made a deal the other day with Chase. Uh, Chase, shout out to Chase over Reaction Pod. You know Chase and Cody, they have an awesome, awesome show that they put out uh, Tuesday mornings. They are literally like the first to the market uh, on the pod feed from pretty much most sites in terms of the reaction to what happened. And it's right after the Monday night games are getting done. So shout out to Chase and Cody. Uh, but I made a deal with Chase and, you know, he declined it a couple weeks ago, but I'm in that situation where I'm trying to essentially get rid of some points, uh, but maybe gain a little value in the future, you know, and maybe it's a coin flip, but I tried to get Drake London for DJ Moore and he didn't want to do it. And then DJ Moore has put up a couple good games in a row and then he sent the trade back and I'm more than happy to accept it because I basically look at them as they're occupying the same spot next year. And I'm guessing that the extrinsic value I get is twofold. One, I get a little bit of the production off my roster, which in this league we did the trade, it really doesn't matter. But two, I actually think that there's a chance that I gain on the deal in six months because the demand for Drake London, the market for Drake London, could be better. Could be worse, but at least I'm telling myself a story where it made some sense for me to do the deal. And obviously, if you can get some leverage back, if you can get a pick on top, then do it. But just be thinking about it. it's more than just liquidating for draft picks. You know, think about neutral pivots, especially if the players are in their prime and you go, you know what, that can actually work with my construction next year. You know, a player gets injured, a quarterback gets hurt. It's a QB2. You can trade a QB2 for that QB2 that's injured and a third round pick. With the goal is, hey, I'm probably going to need a QB3 on my roster next year. That's fine if it's the injured guy, because I don't care about next year. So use that and take advantage of people that see it the other way. And you could argue on the other side, and this is why fair deals get done, is I can see it from the other side. If I have an injured QB2, I'm relying on Russell Wilson, okay, and then he gets hurt. Or I'm relying on Matt Stafford, and he gets hurt, and he's going to miss six weeks. And someone with Matt Stafford goes, hey, will you trade me Derek Carr? I'll give you a second Matt Stafford for Derek Carr. You're really looking at that going, all right, well, Derek Carr is probably a QB3 if I'm optimally roster constructive, and I can just fit Matt Stafford next year as a QB3. And my roster construction will remain the same. So look for those ideas where it's not just I have to have draft picks, where it's can I look for injured players, can I look for players that are not hurting my potential points as much right now, and down tier, or just neutral tier to those guys and maybe pick up a tax. Ask for the tax and some people will say, I'm not going to give you a tax and that's okay. Always think about the extrinsic value that you can get in the deal. So that's tip number three. Uh, Tip number four, this one's easy and it can take me only a couple minutes to get through this one. No running backs. And I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. Other than an insulated stud running back like Bijan, like Brees Hall, Maybe like Jameer Gibbs. Maybe like Devon A. Chain. There's really no other names to where if I'm done for the year, I don't need running backs. And I can go as far to say that if I'm done for the year and I'm packing it in and I'm even questioning whether I can win next year, like I'm in just an asset accumulation mode, I don't even need Brees Hall. I don't even need Bijan. To the regard of, I'm never looking at running backs on a roster. When I have decided to gut a team like this, 
I am never looking at running backs on my roster as assets for me. They are assets for other people to use. They are assets for other people to pay for. And it's back to tip number one, but this is tip four. It is be willing to just take what you can get on most. Not Bijan, not Brees Hall. You already kind of know the expectations for a deal if you're moving one of those. But if you have Joe Mixon, Alvin Kamara, what are you waiting on? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting on to get what you can get? And it goes to even further, and this is where there's some controversy with this strategy, is I don't even care about young running backs. I don't care if you have Kendra Miller. I don't care if you have Tajay Spears. doesn't matter. I don't care if you're stashing Zach Evans and Chase Brown, and you go, well, they're not worth anything, so I might as well just hold them on my roster. Okay, sure. That's assuming nobody wants them. But if somebody wants them between now and the end of the year, you're not holding them for next year. I like Chase Brown. I think we've seen some examples of a lot of running backs that actually get chances in year two. But I'm not sitting there going to hold on every rookie running back from this year and go, just wait till next year. Just wait. Izzy Abanacanda and Chase Brown, they'll have a role next year. They might. They might not. So I don't look at running backs as anything that I really even need to have. And I have some teams, and people that are in leagues with me have seen me do this. I have some teams where I'm holding 30 players, and I'm not even holding any running backs. I get rid of them all. And then I'll pick up some junk ones on waivers, whatever ones are out there. I'll pick them up, and you know what? If I can sell them, I can sell them. But it's literally just churn and burn, churn and burn. This guy can sell for a third, that guy for a fourth. I'll start cutting some of the players. Again, it's back to what I talked about with the backup QBs. When you're not in it, you should be looking at your league and saying, what is the most likely path for me to turn one of these players that I have on my roster to future value if the time arises? Is it a running back market where there's a lot of teams buying spot start running backs? Could be a quarterback market where, you know, 14 team league or something. You want to probably have some of the backups if you're not winning this year. Just hold them. You know, every CJ Beathard, just hold them. Blaine Gabbert, hold them. They're worth nothing. You're going to cut them at the end of the year, but they're an ankle sprain away from somebody going, man, you know, I'll give you two-fourths. I'll give you a third. You know, like that's just a mechanism of free value if something breaks your way, so you don't want to ignore it. But no running backs. Tip number four is no running backs outside of the studs, which those are specific trades that you would move. Everybody else can go. If there's one thing that I've learned over the last couple of years and the one thing that I've seen play out this year, I can build a competitive enough running back room from scratch. From March to August, I can build a competitive running back room. If it's not fully built by August or September, guess what? Week to week, I can build supplements onto my house to upgrade it. Like That's the game we play at running back, which means if I'm in one of these modes where I don't care about the rest of the year. I don't care about any running backs on my roster. I'm not holding Ramondre Stevenson because I believe in him and I'm going to hold him for another year. You know, if you can move him, you can move him. And that's probably 95% or more of the running backs. You know the names where you go, you know what, just makes no sense to move them because there's no market. But if there's a market, dump them. So that's tip number four. The fifth and final tip, tip number five is grind. And that's a very basic statement, but 
all four of the prior tips, and maybe this is cheating, maybe it really wasn't a fifth tip by itself, but I would just say grind your league. This is the time. Take advantage of the next three or four months where you have two jobs. The first job is to maximize the assets that you already have in the form of your draft picks, right? Your second job is to grind every roster spot until things open back up, until the offseason gets here, everything resets, the market of players resets, it's a new year. So 90% of players, uh, this is a cool thing about Dynasty, and maybe it's bad, maybe it's good, but 90% of players, once the season ends, basically become worthless. And when I say worthless, it's not that they're not going to score points, it's just there's no demand for them. And everyone feels this in the offseason. You get to the offseason, we're sitting here in mid-March, the combines just happened, we're in the height of prospect scouting season where everybody's looking at who has what draft picks and all that kind of stuff. There's maybe 50 players that matter. Maybe. And when I say matter, meaning like they have demand. You can put them on the trade block and someone would actually want them. There's players people will take, but the majority of players are just, hey, I'll take them on my roster. I'm not giving you anything for them. Sure, I'll take Isaiah Spiller on my roster for nothing. You don't want him, I'll take him, but he's not worth anything. There's no demand. There's nobody that wants him. So remember that. Like A lot of players just basically go to zero in terms of their popularity or how much demand there is. When there's no demand for a player, they don't have any value. So grind. Take advantage of the window where there's tons of mini markets or mini economies in your league right now. There's the backup QBs, there's the spot start running backs, there's the veterans that are producing, like all of those mini markets exist in your league. And you should be paying the most attention when your team is out of it. Because you don't have to worry about anything else. You're not worrying about setting the best lineup. You're not worried about making a big trade. You're not worrying about, oh man, should I trade away my first or not? I don't know how far my team's going to go in the playoffs. It's relieving to just say this team's done for. I can set it aside till next year, but don't set it aside and say, I'm done working. No, you're not. You're just actually getting started. This is where you comb through every other team and you look at who might need stuff that you have. Don't sit back and just put players on the trade plate. Advertise. Say what you want. Talk about what you want to get done with your roster. Make it open and obvious. Hey, I'm looking to move the following players and I want them gone before week eight. Look at other teams. Instead of worrying about what you're doing with your team, take the time, take this three-month period to look at everybody else in your league. Who's contending? Who might want this running back? Who might want this backup quarterback in case their starter gets hurt? Especially with a trade deadline. Teams have to understand when there's a trade deadline, they don't have the flexibility after the deadline. So you kind of want to set yourself up optimally. You want to make sure you have your quarterback handcuffed. Maybe you want to make sure you have that extra running back on your bench just in case. But take the time to go through and actually focus on your league because once you have to actually start building your team back up, a lot of that's going to get lost. I mean, a lot of my competitive teams right now, they just run themselves. I'll click on them and I'll go, yeah, I have a little bit of a hole there. I had an injury there. Let me go see what I can get done. But there is never like a stop, sit back, do a full analysis of the league, look at what deals can get done. Like you can really make some headway there because guess what? It's an advantage because nobody else is probably doing it. Especially if you're playing in a bunch of leagues with another group of portfolio players. You think any of them are paying attention as close as you are in this league that you're punting? That you're really trying to refine and maximize every piece and every roster spot? No. 
So take advantage of that. Take advantage of this window. You should be looking at your tanking teams all the time. Oh, hey, you know, I still have this player on my bench. Does anybody want him? This might be the 48-hour window where you can sell a Mary DiMercato. And I know he disappointed this week, but there was a window. And if you just had him stashed on your taxi on a tanking team and you figured, well, you know what? Next year, he'll just be on my taxi. He's a rookie. No big deal. Didn't look at it. Didn't try to move him. Didn't say I'd take a fourth. You know, think about that. Think about those little deals like that where you go, man, if I would have just paid attention, I could have got that deal done. So I'll just say grind. That is tip number five. Grind your rosters and grind your league during this window where you got nothing else to do. And people just miss that. A lot of times I see teams that suck. You can tell they tanked from the beginning, but they didn't do anything to make their rosters more efficient. They just let them go to shit. That's cool. They're going to get the 101 next year. Awesome. But you missed a lot of small opportunities to get some edge here. Gain a percent here. Gain 2% there. Pick up an extra third here. Maybe an extra second there. And then you compound it by when you actually start to pay attention in February or March. You go, damn, I left a lot of meat on the bone last year. Now I have bad roster construction. I have a bunch of players that are worthless that nobody wants now because it's not during the season. But you know what? I have that 101. But it's like, man, you left 15% of an edge on the table by not being active last year. So be active in your leagues. Grind. Be more attentive and active in the leagues where you're out of it. And that is tip number five. And to close this one out, you know, this really wasn't a show to tell you how to decide to get to the bottom. You know, I kind of already assume that you're thinking that. If you're all the way through this episode, you're probably sitting there going, yeah, this resonates with me. I'm two and four. I've known for two weeks that it's probably time to push out, but I gave it another two weeks, but I'm finally here. And all the signs point to this is where I should go. I just lost, you know, this player and my all-play record and my potential points are non-playoff, meaning that they're eighth or ninth in the league. I know it's time. Then you go through that analysis of, okay, how low can I get? What are the rules? What are the parameters? What are my constraints? What do the bylaws say? How can I get there without breaking any of those, but maximizing the efficiency on my own roster while maintaining some semblance of my roster construction, not right this second, but heading into next year? Can I get there easier or is my optimal construction within striking distance once we get to the offseason? And just take advantage of that. You know, take advantage of this opportunity if you've already decided to go in that direction. I'm punting for next year. That is the biggest takeaway. Do not just say, I'm out of it. And I'm just not going to really care much. I'll just let this league go till next year. I see that all the time. I see people saying, I don't have to do anything now in this league. I'm tanking. I'm tanking, not really paying attention. No. No, it's the opposite. That's why I did this show. Because sometimes those are the ones you need to pay the most attention to. And maybe next week, maybe not next week, I have another idea for next week's show, but maybe in the future I'll actually talk about, you know, some of the drawbacks that happens when you are a competitive team. I mean, a part of it is I'm in 53 leagues, but I would say at this point, probably 43 of my 53 leagues are leagues where I'm I'm expecting to win. Now, am I going to win all of them? No. But I'm expecting to win, and I know I know, and I preach this, and I'm going to tell on myself a little bit here. I preach this all the time. Hey, if you're a contender, 
you should also be looking to kind of liquidate some of the pieces that you really don't need or give you very small margins to actually win the title or not, can you liquidate those? I have a team, Devontae Adams is my wide receiver five on a title favorite, but why? Is having him versus a couple other players really going to determine whether I win or not? Probably not. That might be a team where I should take the time to do a dynasty trade in the midst of a team that I'm contending with, right? But I don't always have the time to do that. And that's because a lot of the teams that I'm really spending the time on follow this episode are the teams that I've decided to go to the bottom. I really want to set those up next year to be right back in the mix. And the beauty of this, I talked about this in the Heisman Discord the other day, that this time in Dynasty, it has never been easier to turn a team around faster. And I think that's what attracts a lot of people to Dynasty is you can turn it around a team even in a deeper league where you go, man, that team has no chance. You can at least get it in the mix very quickly. That's how much variance there is. That's how much inefficiency there is in the average league. And that's how quick the market changes to where you may think there's no way I can get some of those players. And then you look and you go, wow, a year ago my roster was terrible and now I have three top 20 dynasty assets. And sometimes it wasn't even that you made a great trade. It was just the right timing. You know, you were able to take advantage of the immediacy, the win now, like what happened this week, and then you make a good dynasty trade, and then six weeks later, it's in your favor. So it's never been easier to turn around teams quicker, which means you don't want to fall behind in terms of maximizing the efficiency, even on your tanking rosters. So with that, we'll go ahead and close it out. Uh, Good luck to everybody that still has something that needs to happen in week six for you to close out a victory. As always, you can find everything Destination Devi at DestinationDevi.com. More to come very soon on War Games. I'll make an announcement uh, with that shortly. Uh, This week, we do have the AMA in the Discord, uh, Wednesday night at 10.05 following Destination Chill. So if you are not in there uh, during that time, if you're a Discord member, but you're not in there at that time, consider checking in for those AMAs. They have been awesome the last couple weeks uh, with Ray, and then usually there is a guest in there with him every Wednesday. And then Destination Chill on Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. Check it out live on the YouTube feed. Finally, Dynasty Trades in 5. We are still live streaming every Tuesday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We will be back uh, tomorrow for another live stream talking through a lot of this same stuff. So bring your trades, bring your energy, and bring your participation to that. Appreciate everybody supporting everything we do at DD, supporting me, my content, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, Thank you. It's been a grind already. We still have a long way to go for the rest of the year, and I will be here pretty much every week to just talk to you about what's on my mind. So with that, I will go ahead and sign off. Be chill. There's a rumor going down about me.